It is a glorious time to celebrate today All Saints Day together. It's an important practice for our congregation to remember and name the lives of those from whom our congregation has died in the last year. And it's also significant that we couple that with a list of the names of babies born and the new members that we have gained into our family of faith over the last few years. Because as Protestants, we decide, we choose to honor all Christians, living and deceased, on All Saints Day. We take this day to remember followers of Jesus in the past, as well as in the present. And so today, I'd like for you to consider the saints in your life. Who are those, living and dead, who have pointed you to Christ throughout your life? For me, it began with Mrs. Dascom. She served Wednesday night supper at church, and on spaghetti night, she always made sure I was served a plate of plain noodles without sauce, just like I liked it. Her hospitality taught me that church was where everyone belonged, sauce or no sauce. Mr. Evans, a man in his late 80s who was going blind, but who loved to sing for me and with me in the vestibule of our church after worship each Sunday. He always asked how I was doing, what I was interested in. He celebrated who I was as a seven-year-old and let me know that I was precious. Tripp and Lindsay, two youth whom I aspired to be more like, I saw them reading from their Bibles, singing from the pulpit, and they took time to be interested in the little kid that I was. Mrs. Powell, my faithful GA teacher, who dealt with a particularly difficult group of fourth and fifth grade girls that I was part of, she managed in the midst of our cattiness, our dramatic flair, and our pre-adolescent attitudes to somehow still teach us the Beatitudes, to lead us in prayer and compel us toward loving Jesus. Mrs. Gerganus, my middle school math teacher who pointed me to Christ in the midst of algebraic equations, the Pythagorean theorem, and being my cheerleading coach. Jane Welford, my college dance professor who taught me that my faith and my art could and should coexist. Bill Hayes, a member of my first church out of seminary. His laugh was hearty, loud, and sincere, and he slept through the majority of every worship service because, according to him, he had a clear conscience. <laughs> this list is certainly not exhaustive. There have been many more saints in my life. Certainly, it's been filled with incredible pastors, missionaries, seminary professors, and colleagues who we would all likely put into that saint category. But sainthood is not reserved for a selected few. It is a moniker for all of us. Committing our lives to Christ assures us that we have the opportunity to be equal parts sinner and saint. In the absence of perfection, we will most certainly continue to fail, continue to misstep, continue to disappoint, continue to fall short, and we continue to seek the Lord. We continue to praise God. We continue to learn and grow and do better, all in the name of Jesus. 
And so saint is the name that we give to those who rock our babies, who hand us a bulletin, who take our plate after dinner, who water our gardens, who teach and tend and care for our souls. It's the name that we give to those among us who are loving God the best that they can and encouraging us to do the same. This is true of those who have died this past year. This is true of the loved ones that they have left behind. It's true of the 99-year-old, and it is true of the 9-year-old. Because in our scripture, scripture passage this morning, the psalmist says, One generation will laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We simply pause for a moment. It's easy to identify those who are singing praises to God with their lives. And the psalmist reminds us we need not look far to see examples of how we might also commit our lives to witnessing, worshiping, and following God's ways. And so this morning, I want us to look around for the saints among us. So... You're going to participate with me for just a moment. If you are here today as the spouse or family member of someone who died in this past year in the life of our church, if you are able, I would invite you to stand. Feel free to look around, friends, if you're sitting. If you are a new member in the life of our congregation in the last three years, I would invite you to stand as you are able. Remain standing if you are able. If you are the parents of a baby born in the last three years in the life of our church, I'd invite you to stand. family and friends of those who are deceased, you represent the saints who have blessed us here at First Baptist, and you are saints as well. Those of you who have joined the life of our congregation, you have done so with a commitment to live and learn and grow in your own sainthood. And if you have had a baby that has joined us in the last few years, you have blessed us with this new life, a child who will hold us accountable to our own sainthood, and children who will point us to Jesus themselves. If you're sitting, I invite you to look around at those who are standing. And if you're standing, I invite you to look toward all of those who are sitting. It is from these no matter who you're looking at, that you can learn. It is from these that you can hear the stories of Jesus. It is from these that you can be inspired and encouraged in your faith. And now you may be seated. And as you do that, I invite each of us to consider one church member, someone who stood or someone who's sitting from whom you would like to learn, someone whose life You've seen declare the goodness of God in big or small ways. What do you have to learn from them? How might their lives, their service, their hearts inspire you? Over this past year, we've had the opportunity to remember the lives of some really remarkable members of First Baptist Church. 
It's been a tender year as we have lost some giants of our faith community. It's been a time of deep grief and deep joy as we have remembered those who've gone before us. It's a privilege to be with someone as they are crossing into the threshold toward death. It is a privilege to be with the loved ones who surround them. It is a joy to hear the stories of their lives, the ways that they were saints and the ways that they were sinners. While we mourn the loss of so many treasured souls, we find comfort in confidently knowing that they are now fully in the presence of God. And as we've remembered each of these souls, we've done so by naming the ways that they lived out their faith through service, through teaching, through curiosity, through simply loving whomever was in front of them. And yet we need not wait until we eulogize someone to point out the ways that they have been saints to us. Who are the saints in your life right now, those in this room and those who are elsewhere? If you're able, reach out to them and thank them. Name the ways that you've seen them declare God's works and the ways that they have encouraged you. God has gifted us with people in our lives who might show us how to live and worship with our whole hearts. God gifted us with the opportunity to learn from the saints who have gone before and the saints who are with us even now. They offer us a path to follow, a template by which we might also experience our own faith. When I was in elementary school, we received report cards every six weeks. And even before we received a report card from our teacher, we knew approximately how everyone had fared. Because when we arrived at school on report card day, outside of each teacher's classroom was a list. This construction paper list had the names of the students who had made all A's, and then a list beneath that of all the students who had made A's and B's. If you made a C or lower, your name would not be found on any list. One fateful day in third grade, I rushed to the door of Miss Perkinson's class only to gasp in horror when I saw my name not on the list of A honor roll students as usual, but for the very first time, my name was on the B honor roll. All day long, I waited anxiously to see my report card so I could learn what mistake I had made. Finally, the afternoon came and report cards were passed out and it was in that soul-crushing moment that my life changed forever. It's true. You see, I didn't get a B because I couldn't understand long division. I didn't get a B because I misunderstood vocabulary words. I got a B in handwriting. And it was in that moment that I made a plan. I would perfect my handwriting with time, practice, and sheer stubbornness. I would never get a B in handwriting again. Do you remember learning to write? Usually children begin with a large lined piece of paper, two solid lines with a dash in the middle. You see the letters written correctly, and then you might trace the dashes of the letter, and finally you try writing the letter yourself. 
Learning cursive is then more of the same, examining and learning each letter, tracing the letter so it looks exactly like the example, and then attempting to write the letter as you've been taught. But what no teacher ever taught me is that there's a fourth step. There's a point at which our handwriting becomes our own. We're no longer tracing and imitating the handwriting of the prompt, but we add our own flair. Perhaps you're prone to embellishing your lettering. Maybe you add curly cues or you write in bubble letters. Maybe you write with some combination of print and cursive, and maybe your handwriting is something only legible to your own eyes. There's something to be said for the practice of handwriting and the practice of faith. Something to be gained from considering how we're taught to write by the prompts and teachers who've guided us just as we've been taught in the ways of faith by the lessons and preachers who've led us. We've been given the lines and the dashes the boundaries in which we can find knowledge and beauty. We've been taught the ways that will lead us toward God instead of having to figure out how to do it all alone. The saints who have gone before us and the saints who are sitting around us have emulated these ways of learning and growing. Developmentally, it's appropriate as children to use memorization to recall scripture, hymns, and other tools of our faith. We use these tools to replicate the faith of our ancestors. Those are the very things that many of us cling to in moments of struggle, despair, of joy, and sorrow. But it is also appropriate for us as we grow and mature to take these foundational pieces and make them our own. We're invited to listen more closely to the Holy Spirit. We're invited to apply all that we've memorized to make our faith real. We are invited to find freedom within the lines and the dashes of our faith. We're invited to follow the plan, but then make our own way. We're invited to make our faith our own, looking similar to that of those who've gone before us, but with our own flair. It's in following the format, the example, and the faith of others that we find the truth to what we are called. The psalmist reminds us how we're to live in response to knowing God's goodness and majesty. The psalmist reminds us to bless God's name, reflect who God is, love who God loves. Knowing that God's greatness, the psalm says, is unsearchable. It is more mysterious and more far-reaching than we can even conceive. May we never confine God to our own understanding, but approach our faith as one that continually grows, changes, and deepens as we learn new things about God and who God created us to be. The psalm encourages us to pursue a legacy that others look at as bold and compassionate, declaring who God is. May our lives reflect to others who we follow. May our lives be brave, confident, and sure of who God is. When others observe our words and our actions, may we point to God's love and goodness above all else. 
The psalmist reminds us of the importance of meditating on all that God has done and all that God promises, knowing we can only be sure of who God is when we are constantly seeking relationship and conversation with God. It's when we meditate on God's word, when we seek to learn more, and when we fill our hearts and minds with reminders of faith, that God's goodness overflows from our own lives, that decisions become a bit easier, relationships become more manageable, our focus becomes less on things of this world and more on things above. The psalm tells us to speak relentlessly and passionately of God's glory and power, goodness and faithfulness. Instead of claiming our own work, may we point to God in all we do. Instead of relying on material things, on power or control, may we humble ourselves and offer thanksgiving to God for all that we have. But perhaps you don't feel much like a saint today. Maybe you struggle to follow Jesus some days. It's possible that you're here, but you're uncertain of your faith right now. And the psalmist has something to say about that too. Verses 18 and 20 say, The Lord is near to all who call on God, to all who call out in truth. God fulfills the desires of all. God hears their cries. God watches over all who love God. So if you're feeling far from saintly today, simply start with love. Decide to love God. The rest stems out from that. When we love God, we love God's people. When we love God, we love ourselves. When we love God, we are able to more accurately see exactly what has us tripped up. Sainthood is far less about our behavior and far more about our belief. It's a belief that God is far greater than we. A belief that God desires abundant life for us. A belief that God's grace is sufficient for us even in our unbelief. When we look at the list of those who have died in this last year, it's really easy to remember how wonderful they were. And yet we know they were both sinners and saints. At the end of their lives, they had each chosen to make a way for themselves. Their handwriting on the wall of this world was uniquely their own. And they've left marks on all of our hearts. Marks with flourish. Marks with capitalization. Marks that sometimes went outside of the lines. And we have the opportunity to have our own good handwriting. We have the chance to take what we've learned about our faith, what we know about our faith, what we're still learning about our faith, and use God's love to shape us. Today, as Psalm 145 leads us to praise God with all of our might, may we remember that we are not alone. We've been led to this place by saints. We are surrounded now by a host of saints. And we have the choice to pursue sainthood ourselves. Until the moment we breathe our last, we remain both sinner and saint. We have the opportunity to decide what our handwriting will look like. 
Will our lives be one that glorify, honor, and love God with freedom and flourish? With God's help, may we choose to live as saints, girded in the foundation of our faith and also in the full expression of who God made us each uniquely to be. May our sainthood exhibit our confidence in God with enthusiasm and passion, with the love and grace of God extended to each one of us and to the world. As we're reminded in the final verse of this psalm, may our hearts, our words, and our very lives praise the Lord forever and ever. Amen.